Well, it's uh, five o'clock in Salford. How are you doing? I don't know what time it is where you are. Uh, but it is time for Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show, live from BBG Towers. Welcome. Comment on the programme as it goes through the website richieallen.co.uk. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, indeed you are. Welcome. This hour, I will be joined by Stephen. Now, Stephen reached out to the program late last week, and he is a nurse, and he's verified himself to me, which is very good. Know who he is. He's a nurse. And he sent me an email about the vaccine mandate and what it will mean for him and for his colleagues. As I said, I know who he is and where he works. We will refer to him simply as Stephen. You will want to hear him. Later on in the programme, Judge Dr. Rui Castro will join me live from Portugal. He's taking on the Portuguese government and its response to COVID-19, the damage to the economy and to people's lives. Really interesting gentleman, Judge Dr. Rui Castro, will be with me on the programme today. That is Tuesday's programme. I've already told you about how to reach me. Comment live at the top of the page, richieallen.co.uk. How's your Tuesday been then? Has it treated you well Tuesday so far? Has it? Mine has been fair to middling. Fair to middling. Covers all manner of sins. Fair to middling. Yes, indeedy. Right, let's start then with the story getting more coverage than most or than any other story today here in the UK. And that is the cross-party group of MPs and its report into how the Covid thing was handled at the very beginning. Okay, now the UK's failure to do more to stop COVID spreading early on was, according to this group of MPs, one of the worst ever public health failures. Serious stuff. The government approach, and of course it was backed or endorsed by scientists like Patrick Valance, the chief scientific advisor, and others, was to try to manage the situation and to achieve herd immunity. That's according to the report entitled Coronavirus, Lessons Learned to Date. That report published by the Health and Social Care Committee and the Science and Technology Committee. Both of those committees contain MPs from all parties. So in effect, in effect, dear listener, what they've said to this group of MPs is quite simply that the failure to do more at the beginning led to a delay in lockdown and that cost thousands of lives. Across 150 pages, the report covers a variety of failings but also some successes. So basically what it says is it described the whole approach to the vaccination programme from the research and development through the rollout of the jabs as one of the most effective initiatives in the history of the UK. Just in case any of that went over your head, let me give it to you in fairly plain English. It couldn't be any simpler. Group of MPs have published a report today. <laughs> All right. And they have said, they have said, 
The government didn't lock down hard enough or fast enough and that by not locking down harder and faster thousands of people died. But, but, it said the vaccination programme has been an absolute triumph and the report made no, no, mind, mention of the damage caused by lockdowns at all. Silla Black. Surprise, you see. Surprise, surprise. Fantastic. Not a single line about the deaths caused by lockdowns, suicides, non-treatments of cancer, strokes, heart attacks, suicides, mental health epidemics in children, millions of jobs destroyed, thousands of pubs, restaurants, coffee shops, never to open their doors again, small firms gone bankrupt, bankrupt even, the high street disappearing, nada, we should have locked down sooner. Not an effing mention of anything else. It's a thing of beauty. And of course, the media lapped it up. Lapped it up because cross-group MPs means MPs from the Tories, from the Labour Party, from the Lib Dems and from the Scottish National Party. They came together and over 150 pages, they said we should have locked down sooner and harder. Nothing to see here. The media loved it. Case in point today, LBC's shithouse himself, James O'Brien, who groaned on and on and on about how no heads would roll for this. And then he blamed his own listeners for that fact. Have a listen to James O'Brien. I don't know how else to make sense of the fact that we've created a country in which a government can preside over what is described by their own colleagues as one of the, and again I would dispute the the use of the phrase one of, one of the worst public health failures in UK history, with ministers and scientists taking a fatalistic approach that, and I don't like this language either, exacerbated the death toll. If you don't mind, I'll run with killed people. Political decisions that left people dead. Yes, so O'Brien says that by not not locking down harder and faster, the government, in effect, killed people. Let's just pretend he's right. He isn't, of course. He's James O'Brien. He's a Muppet. A Muppet on steroids. Let's pretend for a moment he's right. What about the people that were killed by lockdown? Those people don't count. They don't matter to the mainstream media. Those people are an irrelevancy. Don't matter at all. Let's talk about the people who died of the flu. Let's talk of, uh, about the people who died from pneumonia and were incorrectly put down or labelled as having died with COVID. Let's talk about them and blame the government for killing them. Let's forget about all the people who lockdown has killed. And that number, of course, far, far outweighs the number of people who died with coronavirus. That would be a fact, by the way. Ed. Family members of people we were speaking to at the time and will continue to speak to for a while to come. And because your scarf, your Boris Johnson or your Conservative or your Brexit scarf is now tied so tightly round your neck, you cannot take it off. And you have to sit there and either look the other way, make ludicrous noises about how, oh, he's tried his best, it's not his fault, or just hope that everybody else moves on soon. And I hate to say this because I love you in a Christian way. It's your fault that there will be no consequences. It's your fault that there will be no punishment. 
It's your fault that there will be no re repercussions for this. You have created an environment in which politicians are allowed to claim that it's raining when we're in the middle of a heat wave. You so if you're a supporter of the Conservative Party, it's your fault, says James O'Brien. You have created an environment in which politicians are allowed to negotiate uh, a protocol, uh, celebrate it, receive a seat in the House of Lords as a reward for negotiating it. He's uh, talking about the Brexit Northern Ireland protocol here. It ...and then claim six months later that we need to renege on it, that it's absolutely awful and we've got to get rid of it quick. You have created that environment. Yeah. And I don't know how we get out of it. And I don't even think that I can ask you that question today because I don't think you've got any answers either. Yeah, abject failure. As a human being and as a presenter, abject failure, blaming his listeners. He's the one who works for the organisation that interviews government ministers every day. Him. Nick Ferrari comes on at dawn before O'Brien takes the mic. His colleague, Nick Ferrari, never challenged any of it. Why doesn't O'Brien blame Nick Ferrari? And by the way, I'm aware of the irony. O'Brien might want to kick Nick Ferrari in the balls for not harassing ministers like Piers Morgan did and demanding more lockdowns and even more face masks, while you and me would bite the bollocks off of Nick Ferrari for not haranguing them over the tyranny of lockdowns. I get the irony. Either way, James O'Brien is a shithouse and the media is a cesspit. Dreadful. Dreadful for O'Brien to blame his listeners for the fact that the government didn't act soon enough on COVID and that killed lots of people when he sits in a radio studio that is occupied before him by another shithouse called Nick Ferrari who never did anything let alone who, who never did what O'Brien would have wanted him to do which is demand more lockdowns, or did what we would have wanted them to do, which was to challenge the efficacy of lockdowns to begin with. So the media is a cesspit, but then you don't need me to tell you that. None of them thought to mention today. None of them. I wonder why this cross-party MP group doesn't mention the harms of lockdown in the report. I wonder why. Not a dicky bird from the media today. BBC Radio 5 Live's Nikki Campbell did hear from a woman who very eloquently described the evil of lockdown. Her name is Lynn, she's from Manchester, and her husband Trevor went to a care home because of his advanced dementia. God love him, he was admitted to the home at the very beginning of lockdown, pretty much on the day. Here is Lynn in conversation with Nikki Campbell. This was box office. I didn't even realise when I said goodbye to him I wouldn't see him again for four months. And it still hurts now. Terrible memory. Because um, I couldn't see him at all. I couldn't... Um, the, the care home were amazing and did what they could at the time, but um, it was so difficult for them. And I couldn't see him for all those weeks. And then when it's, they started to ease it and we could see, I saw him a little bit, um, but unfortunately in August we went into um, an enhanced lockdown in Greater Manchester mm -hmm. and then I couldn't see him at all again. I wasn't even allowed on the grounds because that was with the rules, you couldn't go into the gardens. So I couldn't see him again from August till November the 5th, I think it was. 
So it's been a terrible time. I'm still trying to recover now. And even now, I can only see him um, half an hour a week. It's just gone to two visits a week for half an hour in the dementia care home because dementia care homes and residential are very different. Mm-hmm. That's what they say at the home. They can't. They can't. The, the dementia patients don't understand that you can't see them and give them a hug or a cuddle. So I've not had a hug or a cuddle for eighteen months. What a time for you over the over the uh, eighteen months as well, and every day. Every what was what was it like for you on a daily basis? Um, what do you think it's like? She's just told you she hasn't been able to hug or cuddle her husband for eighteen months. What do you think it's like? You fucker! What do you think it's like? Maybe it wouldn't have happened if you'd have done your job at the beginning of this, maybe, and called it for what it was, Nikki Campbell, and that wench you sit alongside every morning in Salford, maybe, maybe if you'd called it what it is. She wouldn't have had to go through it, maybe. Just a thought. A nightmare, especially when I went into lockdown, because I'd never been on my own before. I'd been very lucky. I'd never been on my own before, and I couldn't even access the help from my family. Uh, just for a cuddle. I couldn't, you know, just isolated. And on my own. And um, you, were on, you were on your own throughout this, haven't you? I was on my I yeah, have been. I mean, obviously, I can see my family now. In the second yeah. uh, lockdown, we could have a bubble, but we, we didn't in the first. We didn't have a bubble. That bubble's no. very precious. Um, I thank the Lord for that. But even that was very restricted. So, yes, I spent a lot of time on my own here, worrying and fretting. And, but throughout it all, being very grateful to the home where Trevor is because they've been amazing. Mm. She's not blaming the home. Fair enough, it goes on. Yes, the lack of a hug, the lack of a cuddle, that's something that many people will be um, will be thinking and will yes, identify I, I with. I can only just now hold his hand without, without PPE or without gloves. Holding, it, holding, holding his hand for the first time must have been... Um, that was a few weeks ago. What was that like? If Campbell sounds like he doesn't give a shit, I promise you it's because he doesn't give a shit. I know that will come across as very unfair. For people listening to this programme and you've recently joined the programme, you'll think it's dreadfully unfair. You'll think it's an ad hominem attack on Campbell and he's not here to defend himself. He couldn't give a shit, Campbell. You heard him in the first part of that answer. Mm, yeah, mm. reading his notes while she's pouring her heart out to him. Overwhelming. <laughs> And I couldn't cry in front of him because he doesn't want to understand what was happening. Because he doesn't... Because why can't you hug me? Why can't we have a cuddle? Oh, because we can't. <laughs> those, those are very strict rules, by the way. That not not um, just put on by the home. That was the guidance that was um, around at the time. <laughs> I still can't. <laughs> I saw him yesterday morning. I'd only just gone into the home. What did, what did he say what, when you saw him? When yesterday, yesterday, well, of course, sometimes he knows me, sometimes he doesn't. I don't put my mask on until he's seen my face and then I put my mask on. The first time you did see him after all those long weeks, did he say oh, anything? Um, all those long weeks, eh? She told him it's been the best part of 18 months and that only recently was she able to touch his hand without wearing a glove. Where have you been? But he wasn't listening. Been. Where have you been? And I did 
say before it's inhuman. (laughs) That's torture, isn't it? To do that to people in care homes, people with dementia and Alzheimer's. That's torture, isn't it? Isn't there a Geneva Convention? Doesn't the United Nations have a charter on human rights on what cruel and unusual punishment is and what torture is? That's torture, isn't it? Do you think if you were in a care home towards the end of your days, do you not think, having lived a full life maybe, that you'd prefer to be sitting with your family and your grandchildren and hugging them and kissing them and laughing with them and talking about old times than condemned to that misery 18 months of not being able to hug your wife? Honestly, you know? Where have you been? And then don't you can't touch him. They opened the, the window visits were the worst. Um, it, the window visits? Initially, that's all we could do, but they were dreadful. Um, and they, they opened the window a little so I could hear him. And uh, he tried to put his hand outside to touch me. He couldn't touch. He wasn't allowed. <laughs> it's really hard because I love him so much. There's another 30 seconds of this. It was just a blanket. No, you can't see them, you can't touch them, you can't kiss them, you can't hug them. And it's, uh, I've, I've lost that time now, because dementia is a one-way journey, isn't it? So I've lost that time with him now. I'll never get it back. Um, and uh, at least now I can go in the home. But that was two weeks ago was the first time I walked through those doors for, that I've ever been in. And uh, I can't, couldn't believe I was... That was like a dream. Well, thank you for telling us your story, okay. Lynn. Yeah, thanks, Lynn, said Nicky Campbell. Let's move on. So Campbell and his mates in the media were demanding today that Conservative Party politicians apologise for not locking down harder. That was, that was par for the course all day long. So-called journalists demanding to know would would Conservative ministers apologise for not locking down quicker and harder? I wonder, did it occur to Nicky Campbell to apologise to Lynn for his treachery, for his refusal to do his job? If he wasn't capable of doing it, I'd have given him a pass last year, him and one or two others, but he knew exactly what he was doing. That bollocks Nicky Campbell. I wonder, did it occur to him this morning as he was listening to that story? Did it dawn on him, you're indirectly responsible for that misery because you get to interview people like Sajid Javid and his predecessor, Matt Hancock. You get to speak to them and ask them questions. I don't get to speak to them and ask them questions. Would it were that I did get to speak to them and ask them questions? They know, but they uh, well they choose to, to to go in another another direction. They choose to take their lives and their careers in other directions and preside over this, and 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 not even do the simple thing today of ask the MPs behind the report. Hey, listen, why haven't you mentioned in your report the devastating effects of lockdown on people's health long term? let alone in the short term, the damage to children, the suicides, the economic devastation, the hardship. 
the cancer patients who've died, the heart patients who've died, those with strokes, those with kidney problems who've died. Not even to do that much. It is a cesspit, the mainstream media in this country and everywhere else. And I know you're, you're shaking your head and you're wondering, why is he doing this? Well, today is a day, believe you me, today is a day. Today is a day. Did you see this? I wrote about it on the website, uh, richieallen.co.uk, very briefly. Uh, the president of the Philippines, he's the outgoing president now, it must be mentioned, Rodrigo Duterte. As um, Well, he's, he's come up with a new and certainly novel way of dealing with uh, vaccine refuseniks or jab refuseniks. He has a, a weekly address to the people called Talk to the People. And he gets questions, or questions are presented to him, this uh, president of the Philippines. And he said yesterday, he said, I know many people are still hesitant, so find them in your neighbourhoods. Let's enter their homes and vaccinate them while they are asleep. End of story, he said. And some of the Western media was wondering today whether he was joking, but he wasn't joking, because back in June, he said to people, if you don't want to get jabbed, leave the Philippines, go to India, go to America. But as long as you are here and you are a human being and can carry the virus, you should get vaccinated. If you don't want to get vaccinated, I'll have you arrested and then I'll inject a vaccine into your buttocks. That's Rodrigo Duterte. But it's not all bad news. Also on richieallen.co.uk, report on the Texas governor. The Texas governor, who has basically banned all vaccine mandates in his state. If you've seen this, this is Governor Greg Abbott, who tweeted at a minute past midnight uh, this morning that there won't be any vaccine mandates introduced in the state of Texas so long as he's governor there. This is obviously very prescient because US President Joe Biden announced, didn't he, last month that the government there would demand vaccines for federal workers and for businesses if they had more than 100 workers. Abbott says no. He's issued an executive order prohibiting vaccine mandates by any entity in Texas. He went on to say that he had the jab. It is safe in his opinion, but it should remain voluntary and never forced. Greg Abbott, that's interesting. Should Texans, should people in the United States, should they take heart when they see things like that? Or should they worry that it's some sort of misdirection going on? Do you get so paranoid that you don't take that as good news? That you wonder, you know, are we being told everything? Is this some sort of, I don't know, sweetener? before things get really bad. You tell me, richieallen.co.uk, at the very top of the page, where it says, comment live. Good to be with you this Tuesday, and I've got two very, very, very good guests. Judge Dr. Rui Castro joins me a little bit later on. But before that, we're going to speak to a nurse called Stephen, really nice chap who got in touch with me late last week. You don't want to miss him. Your Richie Allen Show, the world's most listened to independent news radio show. And I'm the host, the BBG. Welcome to Tuesday's programme. Thank you for being here. Yeah, Glenn Fry, God be good to him. And the heat is on from Beverly Hills Cop. I'm pretty sure it was Beverly Hills Cop. Welcome back to the programme. It's your Richie Allen Show, Tuesday's programme, live from Salford. 
I'm delighted to welcome Stephen to the programme. Stephen is a nurse and reached out to me on Friday to tell me that, um, well, to tell me briefly about his own story and his own career. He's um, been a nurse for many years and he contacted me, uh, he said, to tell me that he will be shortly forced to leave his career a career that has resulted in him, to his credit, winning awards, national and regional awards, but he will not be allowed to continue in that career because of the mandate, the vaccine mandate for NHS workers. Stephen, it's a real uh, pleasure to welcome you to the programme. Welcome, how are you? Um, not too bad, thank you, Richie. It's, it's very kind of you to uh, allow me to be able to speak. Uh, it's, it's a little, it's a little bit uh, nervous. I've got, I've got to say, but uh, I'm, I'm sure. I hope, well, I'm hoping I'll be able to give a good account of myself on this. Uh, of course, I, you will. I really like it, Richie. When uh, one of the things which made me contact you, apart from uh, having the kudos of being able to say that I've been on the Rich Allen show, is is because one of the things which marks you differently from other people, other presenters, is that you often say when you don't know something, you actually say that you don't know it. And and I think that's a legitimate position to take when the evidence isn't there, or if it's unclear, or if it's conflicting. And and I think that I think that is uh, I think it's a really really good position to take. I think it's a very it's a very good starting point to say that we don't know something if if we actually don't know it rather than guess at it. And I think a really good example of that, Richie, was earlier on, you mentioned the government report that came out today and they were talking about, you know, the, the saving of lives if we hadn't, you know, if we had a lockdown earlier and harder. Well, they can't possibly know that. It's, 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 it's stated as if it's fact, but actually it is a best guess. That, that's what it is. It's no more than that. It's a best guess because it's like comparing uh, a, a, a state that we know about which lockdown and comparing it with a modelling. Because we've got no, you know, we, we 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 can't compare it with, you know, not having lockdown. So it's it, it, so. I guess what I'm trying to say on this one is is that the for me uh, evidence and the uh, significance of evidence is, is important to me. Yeah, that's good, Stephen. We'll, and we'll talk about that relating to uh, the vaccine. Yeah. Thanks for the kind words. The truth is, I, I don't know uh, very much most of the time. We, we have our ideas and our opinions, but yeah, it is important to, to, to put a caveat on those and say that, look, I'm just speaking as as a reporter, certainly not as a scientist or as a doctor. So, yeah, it is important mm-hmm. to do that. Um, you're welcome. You know the way it works because I know you, you listen to the programme. Yeah. We, we have all the time we, we need to talk about um, what it is you came on to talk about. You, I know that you've worked in research recently, but, you, you know, you've yeah. been a nurse. Tell us what your understanding of the seriousness of COVID is or was at the beginning. What, what What's your, yeah. I suppose, best estimate, Stephen, of what, what it's been, what, what's been going on from the start? Right. Uh, what, I, what I can do is I can tell you is it in relation to my experience because that's where, you know, that, that, that's, that's the thing where I'm not going to be saying, you know, this is my truth. What I will be doing is actually telling the truth in relation to, in relation to what I've done and what I've seen. And the and and and, and it being uh, able to be uh, uh, val- uh, validated in that way because at the start of this pandemic, uh, I was given the task of going into the uh, our large local hospital to collect uh, data on everyone who was admitted and that who was COVID positive, 
Now, that's not the same as people being admitted with COVID. It's just, it, but what I'm trying to say is it, it became very clear that the majority of cases I experienced were not new admissions, but had been previously admitted for routine operations, elective operations or other care needs and had tested positive uh, while they were within the hospital. And so over them months, uh, I collected the demographic data, uh, medical history data of many hundreds of people for something called a study which was called ISARIC. And I think if my memory serves me right, that's the International uh, Severe and Acute Respiratory Infections uh, Consortium. But that's like a, a repository for all demographic uh, COVID-related research. Now, I can't speak for my colleagues, but I can truthfully say that I didn't collect data on a single person who didn't have uh, chronic comorbidity. Uh, or, or in, in fact, a series of them. Every person I saw, every single one, had either uh, a chronic cardiac disease, pulmonary disease, kidney disease, liver disease, uh, and most often in combination with uh, obesity and frailty due to advanced old age. So clearly, when you add a respiratory disease into that mix, the outcomes are often le less optimistic. But this, this was where I first came across uh, the, uh, I could say political interference with data and where my distrust of what was being presented actually began to take shape. Uh, because the distinctions I mentioned before, they're, you know, they're highly significant, uh, to the, particularly to the cause of death, that if a patient may have had a decade of chronic heart disease and have had the frailties of advanced old age, it appeared as though those were just airbrushed aside when Witty, Valance, uh, sorry, Valance, Van Tam and Johnson gave their briefings. Because I, I remember uh, shouting at the television in disbelief. I actually became the person that shouted at, uh, shouted, shouted at the television uh, as they as they spoke of the deaths uh, in, in, in uh, statistics in such a way that would lead uh, the general population to think that everyone had an equal chance. Right. Uh, dying or getting ill from you know from this infection. So, right. Sorry, Richie. No, no, I'm listening. I'm 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 gripped by this. Okay. So so at the very yeah. beginning they were doing yeah. their briefings and they were talking about all of these deaths and they were talking about all of these cases. But you, as the researcher who went into hospitals, you knew that quite a number of these people didn't have COVID before going to hospital, but they were in hospital with very serious comorbidities and yeah. they were vulnerable to uh, respiratory infection anyway. But that. Johnson and Whitty and Valance and Van Tam, they didn't make any distinction and they should have done. They should have made the distinction, you, you reckon, yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it appeared from, from, from the statistics and the way that they were presented. I mean, we can all remember those briefings, you know, at kind of five o'clock on you know, weekday evenings. And it appeared as though that random people were just getting this disease and just dying from it without the distinctions, you know, that I've mentioned just before. Yeah. And... It's, and it, but it was just untrue because there was a definite pattern of risk and of morbidity in this, which they cannot claim not to have known because there were hundreds of nurses like myself who were telling them daily through the data. So the only conclusion that I, that I could come to on that was that it was uh, a, a deliberate misinformation by omission because it could have clearly and very easily made those distinctions within, you know, with, 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 within the briefings. 
but it seemed as though that what they wanted to do was was to heighten things, you know, was to was to elevate the, the particularly I think the sense of threat. And this prompted me at the time to inquire about uh, a, a, a little bit a little bit more detail about COVID deaths, particularly from the Office of National Statistics, because you know what was being presented on television was different from what I was seeing. Yeah, you know, a person who was actually collecting this particular data. So uh, I looked at the ONS figures for people uh, for people who were dying without comorbidity because I've not seen a single one. Now I'm not saying that you know clearly uh, the, the, the truth is that the, 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 you know the, the people were dying without you know without comorbidities, but the thing is I hadn't seen any, and in conversations with my colleagues they hadn't seen any either. But I don't know the figures for today, but I found out uh, through again through the ONS and the figures are out there for anybody that would like to be able to see them is that is that when the headline figure was a hundred thousand and I can remember that that being you know a, a, a threshold that was uh, quite prominent within the press. Yeah. The actual figure for those people who had died uh, without any of the comorbidities that I mentioned was six hundred. Six hundred. Six, was 600 out of 100,000 right yeah yeah uh, so so the headline figure was 100,000 and the the figure for com- for those without comorbidities was 600 can i ask now, you a question can, of, I, can, can yeah, i ask you yeah, a question yeah, yeah, there yeah. thanks Stephen. that's yeah, that's really important that can i just jump in by asking you and I'm not um, putting words in your mouth or I'm not taking any meaning from your words. Um, I don't do that to anybody. But if somebody is listening to this, they might say, Stephen, I get you. Um, 600 people without comorbidities died. It's not a lot. But if 100,000 did die, and with COVID, if if we believe that, are, are we still saying that lockdown was the wrong approach? What about those people? Don't those people have you know, the right to the best possible outcomes that we can give them, you know, even if that means that we lock down for a few weeks or for a month to give them a better chance. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point to make. Uh, and I think there we come back to uh, the the difficulty of presenting the best guess as being factual. Yeah. Because we, we, because we, we, you know, we do have some evidence around uh, lockdowns and th- and their effects or their unintended consequences. Because we know it was actually intended to reduce the the spread of this respiratory disease. But actually, what was not taken into account at the time they were lo- locked down was actually the un- unintended consequences of which you gave a good account of earlier on. And and so. It would be really hard to. It's, 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 it's very hard for me to. You know, I could I could give a good guess to say about the effectiveness, sorry, of lockdown, but it would only be that because yeah. we don't have another condition, you know, on which to kind of base it on. So, as I said earlier on, you know, sticking. I was. I'm very keen to stick to the to what the factual story was, you know, what, 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 what this was re- relating rather than the best guesses, as it were. Because even even Sage, you know, with all the accumulated wisdom, uh, and I do say that with my tongue in my cheek at times, but even with the uh, accumulated wisdom, it is a best guess quite often. It, 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 you know, it, 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 and when they present it, 
as that report has been presented today, and you mentioned earlier on, it's presented in such a way as it speaks with an authority, which can lead people to believe that this is factual, that we actually know that the lockdown uh, would have saved this amount of lives. And they actually put a figure on it to give it, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a little bit more kind of credibility. And, and, and so that it, that's the danger of presenting the best guess from an authoritative uh, source in a way that it seems as though it's a fact. Yeah, because the public, and the, and think, because the public takes yeah. it as a fact. You're right. The, the watching I, I, public I, I, takes exactly. that as factual when it isn't. Yeah. And you made a very good point earlier on. You said, Stephen, by the way, if you're just coming in on this, let me tell you, Stephen is, Stephen is a nurse. Uh, he's worked in nursing for some years, in nursing and in clinical research. He was involved in a big data project on COVID um, last year, and he's speaking from, from a position of authority. He he is an RMN, and he's um, proven to, to me that he is who he is, and he works where he works. I think you'll know that by now. We're going to talk vaccine mandates in a moment. But we, Stephen talked a moment ago about last year, how they knew that there was that that the data was showing that the people most vulnerable from it almost exclusively almost exclusively were people with often very severe comorbidities and i think you said at that point a few minutes ago stephen that they would have known that they were misrepresenting or not giving the full picture to the british public now at that time it's funny you say that because i keep going back to one to one particular day, it was in early April, when Chris Whitty basically said what you said. And he said it in a two-minute soundbite from Downing Street. He, I'm not going to repeat it all. I'm going to paraphrase. He said, most people won't get COVID. Um, most people won't get it. Of those that do, most of them won't be unwell. Of the ones who are unwell, most of them won't get seriously unwell. And he diluted it all down, basically, oh. to say that this is not really that serious for uh, the country at large, but we've got to keep an eye on it. It was almost like, you know, that he kind of left the cat out of the bag, basically. You know, and when you were watching that, you were wondering, well, why all the panic then? So I just wanted to drop that in there. But, um, yeah, and, and also just to endorse what you said about that, uh, about people going to hospital who were, were in there for very serious illnesses and then tested positive in hospital. The Sunday Times ran a big report on that only a couple of weeks ago. So did The Telegraph. And, and last year, uh, many doctors, uh, excuse me, uh, the Oxford University put a report out last autumn that said that the death numbers themselves are highly questionable. Because, as you said a moment ago, uh, Stephen, some of these people were very, very, very seriously ill with 10 and 20 year battles with life threatening illnesses. And it only needed a little push to push them over the edge. So to say that they died of COVID was disingenuous. So you've been backed up by Witty himself and by and by the press. There, there's no doubt about that. That must have been disturbing for you last year to see that panic around all of this, you being, you know, in clinical research, you knowing what you were doing, you must have been fairly, I don't know, discombobulated, to, to, to use a phrase like that, at what was going on. Where are you? It was, I think it's fair to say, uh, Richie, that uh, I was severely out of countenance. I was worse than discombobulated. I was, I was actually aghast at what was being said and how it was being presented, bearing in mind that my day-to-day -day job was presenting clear 
clinical data which was untampered with it was raw it was the raw data which was being passed up the chain and uh, so that's why i this is why i say with some certainty that they cannot claim not to have known these distinctions within the particular you know within the data now and you mentioned before you know about about trust and about how you know and and how things are being and how things are being presented and i think the issue if i can, can if i can just move this story on a little bit Dude. it's just the kind of where i think the issue of mask wearing for me was it's a really good example of of what was happening and and I, and and i was literally aghast at what was being said from people you know with it, it, it from an authoritative stance because I was astounded that masks were being mandated for, for general use because it, it was really well known within research circles that we had four decades of evidence. Now, this evidence was not uh, ambiguous. It wasn't arguable. It was very, very clear evidence that general mask use for limiting viral spread was, was practically useless. Now, yet there I saw eminent scientists and, and medical experts and the usual talking heads from you know from from the media telling us that the mask use was vital for public protection but i had access to clear evidence that this was clearly just not the case and i think uh, it later became clear that the mask mandate was the product of behavioral psychologists yeah. who wanted a visible reinforcer that would actually keep the public in line so that you know it would it would it would, it would it, you know it's something which people would see in their day-to-day -day interactions and so and but valance witty uh, van tam again were advising us because of their their expertise in their particular fields their authority in those fields which carries a lot of responsibility to be truthful in nursing, we have a thing called the duty of candor, and that has got to be magnified, you know, a thousandfold for people in low in in that in the positions that they work. They're actually talking to the full nation, but it seemed as though they actually put aside their credibility. They had put aside this evidence in order to partake in what I can only describe as a national charade, because it was nothing. You know, the masks just weren't needed. And I remember that when I asked senior colleagues and quoted the wealth of evidence which is at our fingertips they they dealt with it in the time-honored fashion of just simply ignoring me they ignored and you it was as yeah it, 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 it was like asking the awkward question at the dinner table it was you know it was one of those kind of things it was because because people were, were already acting within this play this charade which was kind of going on and it was at odds with the evidence. So I'm there trying to point out the evidence. And, and I know it sounds a little bit like the, you know, the emperor's new clothes, but I, I kept on referring to this evidence all the time because we are supposed to be an evidence-led discipline. But it was as if partaking in the mask charade was more important than, you know, referring and, and acting by using the decades of evidence that were, you know, that were literally at our fingertips. Yeah. And and you know there was there was there was no excuse for it. But the, the, and then later on, I the, 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 I know she's kind of leading on a little bit of a story to, to to where I am. But I am coming to it, Richard. I do promise you, is that the, it, it, when 
we had to endure uh, an endless stream of talking heads like uh, the odious Sheila Fogarty and James O'Brien and Victoria Derbyshire, uh, telling millions of people uh, the barefaced lie that no shortcuts had ever been taken in the production of the vaccines. Yes. And just on what evidence base were these was this deliberate aspect of disinformation being quoted from? Because I actually work in that field and I understand the processes and stages that must take place in order to bring a safe and effective product to the market. It's simply just not true that a process that usually takes up to 10 years or often more can be completed in six months or less without substantial shortcuts. You're just being asked to believe something that is entirely impossible. You've got somebody standing in front of your face telling you today is not Tuesday, it's Friday. It's not Tuesday, it's Friday. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly it, uh, Richie. Mm. And yet so many people acted as if they did believe it. Whether they believed it or not is is another matter. And I have a theory about that because it's almost like uh, it's, it's almost like watching Stockholm Syndrome, which is where you identify with your captor. Bearing in mind people were kind of locked down quite heavily at that particular stage. And it's almost as if people are kind of like believing and identifying with the, you know, with the captor, the people that kind of, that, that's mandating the, you know, these very strict uh, kind of restrictions on people's freedoms in order to be able to, uh, you know, in order to be able to kind of negotiate a way out. Uh, uh, but I simply found myself in a position of just, again, not believing a word that was being said. And this is coming from me, somebody who's had a long career in nursing. Uh, you know, I haven't put a foot wrong. It's all, I've, I've, you know, I've been recognised my work, and I don't say that for any other reason. No, I know, Miss. But yeah. apart from saying, I, I'm not an, I'm not an embittered or or, or bitter employee that's got an axe to grind. I, I, I don't. What was at stake here was the truth, and that. That's the highest principle that I could think of. You know, as being a nurse, that you, you, that's one of the one of the found, founding principles of, of, of nursing is to actually work work with the truth and look and, and work with the objective evidence, uh, and not present it in a way that was you know manifestly dishonest. So then I found myself in this position now, having having gone through this journey since you know since since the uh, since the beginning of the of, of the pandemic, uh, and having gone through these stages of utter disbelief and quite often extreme disappointment uh, in, in in you know in the authorities and what they've been trying to do and the way they've been, been presenting the evidence, the work work that I was actually producing, that uh, and then found myself in a position of uh, I've got to tell you of, of being quite angry in the in, in you know in the last few weeks because. We've, I found myself in a position of being a really, really good employee, but now forced to be in a position where I, in two weeks' time, when this uh, consultation finishes, and Sajid Javid says that you know that all nursing staff must have this vaccine, I I, I can't take it, and got, I'll tell you the I will, I will tell you exactly the reasons why I, why I can't take it. But I can't take it. But this is the, the, the Nuremberg Code, which is there to protect all people from uh, medical experimentation that they, that, they don't, that they don't need or require or don't consent to, is there also to protect 
uh, people from in, in you know in research activities, but also the general public from being coerced into you know into, into taking medication that they don't want. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why I don't want it again is, is, is it's not through gut feeling or things like that. It's, it is down again to the evidence. Uh, and I, I was recently asked for a, uh, an interview uh, because, you know, my, my trust uh, was following up people who had not taken the vaccine. And to be fair to them, they listened to my reasons and some of my concerns. And they particularly asked me about informed consent. And they wanted to know if I needed more information. Uh, so I politely explained to them that, you know, uh, being unvaccinated put me in a category where my chances of survival were 99.2%. And I was prepared to take that 0.8% risk. Yeah. And, but, and, and, and at that particular point, when you again, when you refer to the facts, what happened was is the atmosphere uh, decided, it got decidedly chilly, shall we say. Uh, and because you're confronting people who have perhaps actually taken the vaccine with facts which go against the, you know, the, the, the overall narrative, you know, because it's presented about, you know, a reduction in risk and so forth and that kind of thing. But when you actually use the, the, the unambiguous clear data that I had a no point, sorry, a 0.8% risk, and that I was prepared to take that, it actually, it, it takes away some of the power of some of the narrative argument. Yeah. And uh, but then uh, I actually, be, you know, working within psychotherapy and so forth, you, you, you often become skilled on your feet to asking questions, which which get to the, you know, which which actually get information from from other people. So I turned the table slightly and asked if they were also in interviewing people who had actually taken the vaccine or whether, uh, you know, and what about their reasons were or whether they were just concerned with the unvaccinated and why was that? Did you really? And they get. Well yeah, done. And, and, and of course, the, the atmosphere again got uh, slightly, uh, slightly chillier. But I also raised a point, uh, it, something that we've perhaps all heard of in a kind of hearsay way, is that, uh, 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 is that I asked if uh, staff or anyone for that matter taking the vaccination, if they'd said that they were actually doing it to go on holiday or because of uh, the NHS recommended it, would you consider that that was informed consent and actually give the vaccine? Because, again, they couldn't answer. But to my absolute certain knowledge, I know of colleagues and members of the public who actually took it for exactly those reasons. And medical professionals gave it to them willingly, even though they were taking it just to go on holiday. And you and you now, you you would categorize yeah. the taking of it just to go on holiday as a form of coercion. It must be. I would say at the very least, Richie, it is not informed consent. No. It's a form of consent, but it is not informed consent. It is being taken to access something, which is actually a form of coercion yes and that is exactly what the nuremberg code is supposed to be there to protecting to protect us from now it's being done in a, in a in a quite subtle manner but however 
it is because they're not because the government and the you know and the health authorities they're not linking the two things directly, you know, in their publications. But what it but the but for the public who've been told in you know from one source that you can't go on holiday unless you've got this vaccination. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at their lives. They're not, their lives are not led. They're complicated and complex, and they're not led by just following, you know, the, uh, the, rec- the, the, the specifics of a vaccine recommendation because of its health benefits. They're actually, perhaps actually, uh, you know, thinking more along the lines, actually, this will provide me with some social benefits. And that, again, like I say, is, you know, is, ups- is absolutely a form of coercion. Uh, and... and you know, like I say, medical professionals were giving that to them willingly, and and that's you know, to my utter shame in you know from nursing that 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 should that that should be happening. Uh, so I, you know, and again at the at the end of that, you know, like I say I, I I explained that I wanted to keep my options open. Uh, that uh, a further evidence kind of came in, you know, that the vaccines were actually safe, that the long-term effects had been had, had, had been identified and so forth. Uh, and that the vaccine, and this is an important one, the vaccine has not yet gone through a winter. Uh, the, uh, you know, if we compare the, uh, the, the, what we, the, the infection rate, not the caseload, because the, a case and those people that are infected are two different things. Uh, a person is infected does not necessarily turn into a case. A case is where somebody has to have a, an intervention. So when they talk about that there are 1,500 cases identified today, that again is an untruth. It is playing fast and loose with the terminology because a case has to have an intervention. What they're talking about here is that there are maybe 1,500 infections that day, and out of those 1,500 infections, there may be 80 cases. Right. So they, like I say, so they're playing fast and loose. So they're with positive test. Yeah, so so their positive test might be a false positive mm. anyway, but even if it isn't, yeah. it is just an infection, and you've got to wait for a few days to mm-hmm. see if anything comes of that. And um, in in many cases, of course, nothing comes mm. of it. Can I ask you a couple? Well, I'm looking at the time; it's it's basically four minutes to six yeah. o'clock. We're going to stay on till about ten past six, right? Um, because I want to talk to you about what what you're going to do because they want every you and all of your colleagues to have this thing, and they they ultimately want to. To you know, to to, to 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 make redundant or to force people out of the profession who don't have it. When I was listening to BBC Radio Five Live this morning, and I didn't record it because I've said it too many times, but one of the presenters made the point to again the presenter was speaking as if he or she were an authority on epidemiology, but but one of them said something along the lines of, "Oh yeah, COVID. Well, what what makes COVID so much more different than the flu?" is that COVID can be can be transmitted asymptomatically. Now, look, I might have said some cheeky things on this programme over, over time, but I've always qualified it by saying I'm not an expert. It's just what I feel. I've always said that. I don't believe them when they say that it can be transmitted asymptomatically. I don't believe that. Now, I'm not saying that you'll have the definitive yes or no answer, but how do you feel about the claim that this thing can be transmitted by an asymptomatic carrier. I, I think this is a it's an it's a it's what we would call an arguable claim, and I think that this is not an all or nothing. So I I would what I wouldn't. It, 
even the most eminent experts in the world, and I certainly not classing myself with it, you know, within that within that category, but even the most eminent experts in the world and the most uh, peer-reviewed uh, and authoritative papers have not con- have not. Uh, precisely nailed this down it's it would be it's it's on like a spectrum uh, Richie so it would be that the majority of those people who have uh, who are asymptomatic so they may have a a a viral load which does not give them uh, the symptoms and needs a PCR test and please don't get me started on those uh, the to magnify it to such a degree that it's perhaps actually picking up fragments. Now, we know that the PCR test can actually uh, pick up fragments of the, uh, of, of the RNA from this, from, 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 you know, from this disease body uh, nine, up to 90 days post-infection. So the person can have had a viral load, which the body is taking care of, and there are little bits of fragments which are still filtering around with it, you know, within their mucus, and that's picked up by the PCR test, and then that gets uh, categorised as an infection when the person is not infectious. So you are right to think that the majority of those people who do not have symptoms or are asymptomatic are infectious. There will be some who go on to be infectious because they've been captured by the PCR test, perhaps actually at the beginning of the infection. So there will be some percentage of those people who go on to actually develop symptoms, but they will not be asymptomatic. Fair enough. Can I ask you a question on before I ask you about what yeah. you're going to do? Very quick rundown. Stephen um, got in touch with me on Friday. Now, I think Stephen is a little bit more qualified than he's letting on. And I understand that because protecting his identity is important. Absolutely right. It's important. Uh, He's a very experienced nurse, but he went into clinical research and he has won awards for that. Now, he has done, right? And I know who he is, right? Uh, I've, I've had the verification. He's a whistleblower. He's been telling us that raw clinical data was given to the government and its scientific advisors last year, that COVID wasn't as serious as they were telling the public it was, and that they, they knew this. And he talked very eloquently about that and his problems with that. He talked about the, ma- the mask mandates. And again, the, you know, the very dubious science that was used to push that. And Stephen talked about how they got behavioural psychologists in to try and basically scare the public into wearing these things. And then he talked about his reasons for not wanting a COVID jab. And again, very important to hear this because he's a clinical researcher and he knows uh, his onions. And we're, we're going to talk about um, um, the mandate and what it might mean for him in a moment. But can I ask you this, uh, Stephen? Is it widely known... Do you think, again, this is an opinion question, in your opinion, is it widely known in medicine that if you do amplify samples using a PCR test, if you do amplify those samples um, more than 30 times or if you do it 40 or 50 times, if you cycle those samples, is it widely known that you are likely to get false positives through the test picking up fragments of old viral load? In your opinion, because this is crucial, is it known that the PCR test is dubious, to say the least? Yeah, it, there is no ignorance on this, Richie. None. It, it, is, it, is wide, it is widely known as a fact. 
it, 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 it is uh, it, it's what we call like a productive fat. So it's something which comes from the process. It's one that you know all processes have their prob- uh, you know have their upsides and have and have their problems. And this is a problem of using this particular methodology for diagnostic purposes. It was never intended to, which was which it was never actually intended initially to you know to to, to be used for. So you are quite right to have your reservations uh, about about this particular uh, use use of the PCR test it it, it, it is unreliable and uh, it, yes it, yes it does produce the false positives but it's being used in a way that it was never designed to never use. designed it's to be used, used. and it's been used at an amplification setting uh, which you know which, which like I say will will actually you would almost I, don't, I hesitate to say it's been deliberately used in this way because I have no proof of it. But you do have to question. You know, you do have the, the, the question needs to be asked and has not been asked. Why is it being used at such a level of uh, cycle threshold? Why is it being used at such a level of, uh, of amplification? You're entitled to wonder, and I'm not putting, when I say you, I really mean mm. me. I, as a journalist, mm, yeah. I'm entitled to wonder mm. if there's something. Yeah more sinister going on. Now, this question I'm going to ask you before I ask you about what you're going to do about your job, this, this, this is ridiculous because I'm going to ask a very serious question and I'm going to ask you to try and answer it in two minutes if you can. Um, have you looked at the yellow card reporting system for vaccine injury since the COVID jabs were introduced? And if you have, should people be concerned at the data or, or at the reporting of injuries there? I, I can honestly, I, I actually haven't, uh, Richard. I haven't, I haven't looked at the yellow card reporting system data. But what I can tell you, again, which is uh, a verifiable fact, is that it is not something which has been uh, promoted. Uh, you would think that in the uh, in a mass rollout of something which has such a logistical size as what it, what has occurred with, you know, the mass vaccination of an entire population. That this, you know, the the, the the reporting of unintended effects uh, and unknown effects and consequences from from this exercise would be uh, something that the the, the the health authorities would wish to know about. That they would absolutely wish to be promoted. Yeah. It, it's that continuous research aspect of this. You know, it's almost as if they've gone into this thinking that this is again an all or nothing thing, that nothing bad can flow from this. So we will not promote the yellow card reporting system. I mean, what would be harmful about just giving somebody, you know, a little note at the end of their experience, you know, at the end of the, you know, at the beginning of the of the vaccine process or at the end of the vaccine process saying if you do come across anything it is really important that you actually put this through and I can tell you that that's not happening yeah. and also uh, that the at the best estimates of these that, that where, where researchers actually looked at reporting behavior uh, what we can say is that it's about one percent it's about one in a hundred uh, so whatever you see uh, on there you can reliably I think uh, estimate that it is about a hundred, uh, certainly ninety-nine times 
Thanks for that, Stephen. We have five minutes left. Stephen Norris, clinical researcher, man of science, is on the programme. Again, I, 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 I don't say this now in any way um, to be, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know what I was going to say. You shouldn't really be speaking with me. You should be speaking on um, national television or national radio. But I know that barriers have been put in place uh, producers have been told. Now, I, I can say this for a fact. This is not opinion because those people are in touch with me. Uh, Jackie Devoy has been taking stories to the Daily Mail, the Telegraph. People, uh, newspapers she's worked for for years has been taking similar stories and the papers just don't want uh, to listen. And that's a fact. That's not conjecture. In the few minutes we have left, Stephen, what are, I mean, is, is, it as, is it as simple as this that your career is over? Is that how it's going to turn out? Because they... They're, they're, they've been unequivocal about this. If you work in the NHS, they want you to be jabbed. If um, you don't, they're saying, well, adios amigo, go and do something else. What are you going to do, my friend? Yeah, it's, it's effectively over. Uh, I mean, there's a very slim chance, I think, Richie, that Sabi Jabid will come back and say, well, we really, we, you know, we rethought it and, you know, we're not going to go through with this kind of totalitarian uh, nonsense. But uh, I think that's I think it's a very slim chance of that happening. So it is effectively over. Uh, I'm going to have to do something else. Uh, but I, I I won't take it because I don't need to take it. You know it, it, that that's that's the thing. How I've got a I've got a wife, I've got a daughter, and I've got grandchildren. And how could I look at them in the eye and have the information that I have? and not resist this creeping authoritarian uh, totalitarianism this, 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 this fixation with mandating the you know this kind of thing i'm struggling to find the words here richard because i'm no, you're not you're doing very well about it and, and well. the you know when i heard Savage javid talk about colleagues who had been working in the care industry, you know, in the care homes and the nursing homes throughout the worst aspects of this particular pandemic, they were good enough to working it then. You know, there were, there were people clapped for them. And, that, that, and, the, and to hear him say, I think it was only last week, that we don't want those kind of people in our care homes go and get another job. And I think those were his exact words because they were burned into my consciousness. That's what he said. I yeah. couldn't believe that we had a health secretary who actually, whose, whose qualifications for that job, that uh, he was a banker. Zilch. Yeah, he's you know, got none. Yeah. You, know, you know, and we had a vaccines minister who was a pollster. A pollster. That, that, yeah. That's what we would. That is what you know. That's that's what we're dealing with. Not the evidence. As I keep coming back to, not the objective evidence, the objective truth, which is verifiable. What we have is a narrative, and narratives have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think, Richie, I think we're still at the beginning on this. I don't even think we're in the middle, and that's that's a horrifying thing. And 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 and, and I will try and stick to the time, Richie. I'll just finish with this: is just that it, I've been, you know, I I've not told something here which is my truth. I've just told the truth, and the truth, an objective reality, has actually become a problem to be managed, and that 
is where we are heading if we're not there already. Tell you what we'll do. The truth is a problem to be managed. Imagine that, the, the reality. Tell you what we'll do, Stephen. I would have kept you on till the end of the programme if it wasn't for um, getting some time with my next guest is, has been difficult, the, uh, the judge in, in Portugal. Um, it's, it's wonderful doing your own thing. I can, you know, chop and change. But with him, I won't be able to get him on this week if I don't speak to him now. I want him on this week. Um, you come back anytime you want. I'm happy to pick this up with you again next week, by the way. If, if you want to do that, I'll be delighted to pick it up because I know there's a lot more that we could speak about and go into. And, uh, while we've had a, we've had a good old chin wag, like I said, we could have gone on to the end. So if you're amenable to that, uh, we can pick it up again next week. How do you feel about that? Uh, Richard, I, I would absolutely love to. Thank you. I, I, I'm sorry for uh, rattling on. Will you a stop? Bit. Will you know this is vital story, stuff, Stephen? Yeah, right. Christ, this is vital yeah, stuff. You know. <laughs> okay, but but you know when I when I do get the, the bit between the teeth, I do tend to go on a bit, as my wife would. No, you're not uh, going you know, on my, a bit. And my, I, my wonderful, beautiful wife would tell you. <laughs> you said something very important, and it it meant a lot to me, and it really did mean a lot to me. You said you couldn't look at your wife and your daughter. You couldn't look them in the eye if you didn't say something or if you didn't, you know, walk away. That's 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 wonderful, Stephen. You know, for everybody who thinks that, you know, they look at the, the NHS, they look at academia, they look at scientists advising the government and they think it's one big cartel. Well, it isn't, you know, because I hear from others like you. Some of them are petrified to speak out. And, and like yourself, they send me, you know, they identify themselves They say, this is who I am. But they're petrified. But it gives me great hope, you know, you coming on to say what you've said today. Let's pick it up next week. And um, I just want to thank you for having um, the decency to say what you've said today. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much, Richie. And uh, it's, it's been a real, it's been a real pleasure and a real relief actually to get this to get this out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. No, mate. Thank you. That was Stephen. Stephen has been a nurse for many years and very experienced and kind of underplayed, or you know, understated the, the level of his experience. He's gone in as a nurse, then got into clinical research as well. Um, obviously, very important work as well. He's done, and. Um, you know, like I said, this is stuff that should be in the national press, but it isn't in the national press. People like Jackie Deva are trying to get it into. Uh, the print media can't do that. Um, Stephen couldn't get arrested in national media here in the UK. Couldn't get arrested. That's that's the reality of it. And uh, But he came on with us today to, to, to tell us uh, how he sees it and um, that he's not going to be in nursing and clinical research for much longer because... The Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, has told nurses, doctors and anybody working in the NHS, if you don't have your jab, you might as well go and get another job. That's right. We're off to Portugal now in a moment to speak with Judge Dr. Rui Castro. You don't want to miss him. That is music from Simple Minds on the Richie Allen radio show, live from Salford, here in the northwest of the UK. Uh, coming up for a quarter past six. Welcome to the programme if you're just joining us. Good to be with you. Now, I am excited to be speaking with my next guest. I, I think he's an extraordinary man. I saw a video on YouTube recently. I think it was taken in Lisbon. Let me tell you, this judge stood in front of a group of police officers. They didn't look like police officers. They looked like militarised kind of robocops. 
and he warned them not to assault, not to hit a man who didn't have a mask on. Now, until recently, uh, Judge Dr. Rui Castro was a magistrate in the town of Odimira. He is taking on the Portuguese government over its response to the COVID situation, the lockdowns last year, and he is suing them for ignoring the alternatives to dealing with COVID. It is a pleasure to welcome to the programme uh, Judge Dr. Rui Castro. Rui, it's a real pleasure to meet you today. Welcome to the programme. Hi, Richie. It's uh, it's really great to be here talking to you and your uh, audience. Uh, first of all, I owe you uh, an apology because of last time. Uh, it was really a, a very a crazy day and um, it was a day that I got fired and uh, it things got uh, complicated and uh, well, I'm very sorry. For no, you, you don't owe me any apology at all. The circumstances were extreme and here you are. I've looked into you, of course, as a journalist, I've got to have a look at, at who you are. And I see that you've got a brilliant record as a magistrate. You're a, a man of integrity and decency. And you're telling me and you're telling our listeners you've lost your job, uh, Judge. And this is because you are asking questions of the government. You're questioning the government over lockdown. Is that right? Yes, it was. It started with uh, with the decision that I took in uh, in my courtroom uh, related with the, the mask. Uh, uh, I I understood. My understanding is that for me to to uh, to do my job properly as a judge, uh, I cannot. I cannot hear the defendants or witnesses with uh, with face covered because otherwise I cannot evaluate what they are saying. It's not that I'm con- cannot hearing, but I cannot evaluate uh, the proof the, the the proof by declaration. So I decided that in my courtroom the defendants and witnesses could not have the face covered. It started with that. And then I'll, yeah, and, but, and also with my, with my public uh, positions about uh, the so-called pandemic, and um, and well, uh, things that I said that publicly that I said, for instance, that I will not be vaccinated, neither my kids, and they use that also, and uh, and in uh, and um, more recently. I sued the government and the president and uh, everybody involved in the injection program uh, for crimes against humanity. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's a case that I started very recently and uh, I eventually got fired on the on last Thursday. They fired you, isn't yeah. it amazing? We we appoint judges because we believe that they are wise, that they are experienced. And now, in your position, you have made some statements about lockdowns and about vaccines, and they can just fire you because of that. This is really extraordinary. And and your case is going to be very interesting now, your case against the government. Can, can we kind of go back to March last year, March, April 2020, did you feel, Judge, that there was something very wrong at the very beginning? 
Um, I, uh, well, in the beginning, um, you are talking, I think you, uh, what you mean is my perception of what's going on related with the yes. pandemic. Yes, yeah. that's right. Okay. Uh, uh, I, uh, in the beginning, I, wa I was never into, I was never an activist and I was never into conspiracy theories or what they want to call that. Uh, <clears throat> so I, in the beginning, I'm talking about March until, until summer. I was believing that something was, uh, there, there was a pandemic, but then uh, already uh, in May, perhaps in May, I started, uh, I started, I, I, do, uh, I, I don't watch TV that for, for a long time that I am not watching TV anymore. So my, my perception of reality is what I observe. Uh, so no one was dying. So uh, that's, that deadly pandemic was that idea of a deadly pandemic was fading away in my in my mind and uh, and after summer i could not i was i was really sure that portuguese government would not lock down again because in portugal there is no budget to to support uh, lockdown one one after the other so and ended up that the that portuguese government locked everything down again and uh, and it was then that i hey there is something very wrong here is not only incompetence uh there is something here because they 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 have all the information that i have because back then i already gathered uh some information for myself by myself and i was like uh, i mean the government has even more information that I have, so it's not only incompetence. There is, it's deliberated. There is something very wrong here. So I started searching more and more, and uh, unfortunately, I right now I I really believe that they want to kill us. This is astounding me now, because I'm speaking to a judge. It's uh, Dr. Rui Castro. And the judge said that before the pandemic, he didn't have any time for conspiracy theories. He didn't have, you know, opinions on these things. He's a busy man. He's a magistrate. He's got a full docket, I would imagine, dealing with um, with uh, justice in his town. And then the government responds to a pandemic the judge says, I don't watch television. That's very clever, by the way, judge, not, not watching yeah. any television. Yeah. It's pretty intelligent. But he doesn't see the bodies. Where are all the dead bodies? We're told we're in a pandemic. And then he, he starts to wonder, is there something more sinister going on? And it's amazing to me, you, you think that, you think depopulation, judge, that's what you think. That's your... Um, yeah. Now that can't yeah, yeah. that can't that can't be easy for you. That must be a difficult thing to reconcile. No. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it was it was a process. Uh, the first time when, when I start talking to people that uh, that were much more into this uh, already years before, not only now, and uh, I start talking to several people. And uh, uh, my first idea, it, it was like, well, I have in the middle of really crazy people. And uh, some things 
I, I, I am putting in a shelf because I cannot process right now. And for me right now, uh, there is only something that is I cannot explain. It's not it's not it's not incompetence from the government. Uh, looks like deliberated, but all that information that I was getting, it was it was really shocking. And uh, yes, and with time, things started to make sense. Pieces started matching each other. And uh, right now, I have uh, I have a completely different idea of the world actually that I had before. And you and you you've been trained to look at information objectively. You've been trained to have a clinical mind when looking at evidence. This is why, for me, it's so remarkable, George, that you have concluded this. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. I don't have the analytical brain that you have. I'm astonished at this. And did you speak to any legal colleagues to share your feelings about what was happening, and if so, what were what were they saying? Uh, yes, uh, the, the, the mostly uh, mostly um, uh, lawyers. In 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 twenty twenty, I was still I, I was still uh, a lawyer. Uh, well, I, I had a I had a, a leave from being a judge. I started as a judge in two thousand five. But in 2011, I got a leave, a long-term leave, to to be able to go back to my uh, practice as a lawyer. So in 2021, I asked to go back again to my position as a judge. So I, I, I talked to, I had the opportunity to talk to to, to lawyers and to to also to people in the justice system. And um, most of them uh, have a very traditional uh, mindset and a very traditional way of thinking, and they have a, they have a, they have a, a trust, a deep, deeply rooted trust in the government that at least the government doesn't want to to wipe us to harm out. people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but some of them, not not many. They they also start understanding, but there they are not many. There are just a few. Could it be possible, George, that it isn't the governments that want to kill everybody, but there are global institutions, and these global institutions, think tanks we know, um, financial institutions that have a lot of control over governments, maybe this is just maybe now, maybe prime ministers, maybe presidents, maybe they don't see the full picture as you see it. They take orders and they put policies in place and they get very well paid and they don't care. Is that a possibility that it goes higher than governments, maybe? Yeah, on one hand, you are right, at least uh, regarding the the Portuguese government, on my on my view, they are just employees. They are they are agents for for uh, other interests that are supranational. So they are employees. On that sense, you are right. Uh, that they are compensated for what is happening. I also it's true, 
perhaps they don't want to to see the the big picture perhaps that's a possibility uh, but um, it's there is there is a very thin line between you are able to see the big picture if you want or you are turning your your uh, your face to the others to to, yeah. to the other side you don't want to see what's going on so the responsibility is the same in my view i i, I agree i think you know i spent most of my career in mainstream media in commercial and national media and um you know i broke away from that because i was noticing things and seeing things that i wasn't allowed to speak about on radio and television. So to speak about these things, I needed to become an independent uh, broadcaster. I think you're right. I think more of them do understand something is very wrong, but they turn their heads away. And that's obviously a big problem. Let me remind our listeners, um, very, very important that we're speaking tonight to Judge Dr. Rui Castro. Now, until recently, uh, the judge was employed as a magistrate in the town of Odimira, but he did tell us that he had worked as a judge between 2005 and 2011. He took a leave. He went back to work as a lawyer. And recently he came back into working as a magistrate. And he first of all got into trouble because he didn't want defendants and witnesses to wear a mask in court because he couldn't hear what they were saying clearly. This makes perfect sense to me. Also, Judge, I guess when you speak to uh, people as a judge, you can tell a lot about their facial expressions too, right? If you, you, you become accustomed to reading a person's facial expressions to know if they're being truthful or not. Am I guessing that right? Yeah, that's that's actually was the main reason. Yeah. It, it was not that I could not hearing yeah. hear, hearing them. Uh, that it was that I could not see the facial expressions. It, that's 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 crucial. That's uh, you cannot do your job as a judge no. evaluating the proof without seeing people talking and not only listening. Yeah, I've never been in criminal court, but if I ever was, I think I'd be happy to have the mask. <laughs> I'd, be able, yeah, yeah. I'd be able to maybe fool the judge. Now, the judge is making international news because having he was wrongfully terminated from his job as a magistrate because he has reservations, concerns about the vaccines and he won't be taking a vaccine and his children won't be taking a vaccine. We'll talk about that in a moment, um, bearing in mind now that you're a busy man. But I'm off air at seven, I'm off air at seven o'clock anyway. But th this is important stuff. International headlines because he's standing up to it and he is suing uh, the Portuguese government. We're speaking with Judge Dr. Rui Castro. Judge, why are you concerned about the vaccines? What what have you heard? Why are you worried? Well, first of all, they are experimental, and that that's a legal that's a legal matter. It's not even. Uh, it's not even uh, it's it's within the legal the legal matters. It's that they are experimental. They were not approved for commercial uh, purposes in the United uh, in the United in European Union. Uh, so they are experimental. So this uh, this said uh, the thing is that there are other 
other treatments like ivermectin, for instance, that are, are, uh, have been proved uh, very efficient to, to treat uh, COVID-19, and they are just put aside. And everything is around uh, some experimental substance, and that only, only that should, should, uh, should concern us, what is going on, that they are pushing us into an experimental experimental drugs and they are pushing us in such a way that is a, that we are talking about coercion right now how um sorry george forgive my interruption how much pressure are the portuguese authorities placing on citizens to have the job how much pressure is coming from the health authorities in portugal well, the pressure with the, the, the digital certificate got a bit loose uh, right now. It was more strict before, uh, some, some weeks before. But uh, the thing is that they say, we are told that 85% uh, of, of Portuguese population uh, has been uh, vaccinated with, with the, the full vaccination uh, um, with the full vaccination, the one or two shots, uh, um, depending on on the, on, the, on the brand. So they they job is kind of done on that regards. Um, the thing is that they are pushing now for the third shot. Yeah, and uh, they are they are trying to put that along with uh, with influenza uh, vaccine. And what I what I'm uh, what I'm seeing right now is that they are going to put they are going to give you the, the full package. You you take it or you leave it. The, the influenza vaccine and the third shot is what I'm is what I'm seeing right now from the news, uh, from what I, I am getting. And uh, it, it's it's a, it's another it's another kind of coercion, and um, and. Well, in the, in 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 some uh, in some um, in some jobs, people are people are told employees are told that they have to be vaccinated to to stay on the job. Even even if it is that not has not been being enforced so far, but there is a there is a huge social pressure. And for instance, with the with the kids, with the kids from 12 to 16, they 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 had these vaccination centers, and they put music and the DJs, and it was it was a circus, you know. It was yeah. it was really it was really embarrassing. Celebrities too, and and football players, they used um, they definitely used famous people, didn't they, to push to push the job. And and you think, you think that their goal is ultimately to make it that you you won't be allowed to participate in society unless you have all the jabs. Is that what you think is going to happen? Yes, not only not only about not only regarding this this substance, but also other. Other things in the future that are that are leading us to a to a uh, to a, 
a social credit uh, system and it's it's not going to be this year or in the next year it's going to be a process and people are going to go along along with with it and when we when we uh, when we notice when we'll notice we are completely into a a, a surveillance uh, system and a, and a police state and we will know we will not have not only privacy but also freedom that is going to be taken from us step by step slice by slice and and what's for, on my view it's what it's it's, it's what they are, what they are doing the video of you confronting the police was very powerful and i know as a judge you're asking these policemen and women to understand that you know they'll be next really you know you're telling that policeman don't punch don't assault that man for not wearing a mask and you're trying to impress on the policeman how terribly wrong that is. Do you think the police understood you? You know, because sometimes it's difficult to be self-aware. Do you think the policeman maybe thought, wow, this is crazy, this is totalitarian, the judge is right. Do you think you might get through to the police, do you think? Yes, some of them, yes, because I could see in their eyes. And it's not. it was not my first clash with police. It was the first clash that was uh, recorded, but it was not the first one. Uh, and I can see in the eyes, some of them are really ashamed to, to be in that role. Some of them are really embarrassed to, 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 to be there, to, do, to, have, to have to follow uh, orders that involve to beat people up just because they are not wearing a mask. This is if we if you if if two years ago we would we would someone would tell me that this could happen it would be impossible for me I would deny that that could be yeah. possible in Portugal or in any European country but it's what we have right now things that were impossible two years ago right now they are normal but uh, lots of police officers and police. Uh, uh, and police elements that were there, they were really ashamed. That that was that was clear for but me. But they need they need to show some of your courage. You know, it's good that they're ashamed. It's good, but they need to speak out. But I suppose there are financial problems, aren't there? Everybody, everybody. These are difficult financial times for everybody. You know, the policeman, the policewoman might have children, might have debt, you know, might have bills and might have a mortgage, might have a new home. So it's difficult. But but more of them need to stand up and say no. You see, it's interesting. You said to me there two years ago, you would not have believed that the police would beat people for for being outside or for not wearing a mask. I'll be honest. I've been talking about these things for 10, 15 years, but also two years ago, I wouldn't, I would not have believed this either. My head is still spinning, Judge. It really is. My head is spinning yeah. today at the things that are, that are going on. And you mentioned three jabs, the flu jab at the same time. 
You mentioned social crediting. Everything is happening at the exact same time in all countries. So you described Portugal to me there. That is happening in the same sequence in England. I'm in England now, but I'm an Irishman. So it's happening in Ireland. It's happening in in Germany. It's happening in Spain. That's not a coincidence, right? That cannot be a coincidence. The exact same steps at the same time in all of these countries. That's as a judge, you would be very suspicious of that. Yes, of course. It's uh, it's not that uh, uh, that is something that is. Look, we we have really deadly deadly diseases that should concern the governments around the world and in in Europe. And this is not one of them. Uh, I, years ago, I I had uh, had to go to the hospital. I have been in the in the, in the, in the, in the hospital in UC for 15 days because of influenza, because I had a pneumonia. So that's something, it's, this is not new for us. Viruses are not new for, for, uh, for us. It's, we are, we are dealing with, and it's normal. It's normal. Yeah. This is just, this is just a pretext. It's just an excuse. It's just a reason to implement uh, a new, a new world, a new paradigm, something that a new way of life, and that is being imposed, and um, uh, and it's it's uh, it's a major it's a it's a plan that is above the national governments, and they are just uh, obeying uh, orders. Yeah, you said you said supranational earlier on, and I agree with that. Look, we'll. We, we, we're going to wrap this up in five minutes. It's really great to chat with you and I'm going to be watching very closely as your case progresses. We've got um, Judge Dr. Rui Castro on the programme. Um, fascinating conversation, this. And uh, if I may ask you a personal question, you don't have to answer this, but um, how does your family feel about your thoughts on what's happening are are they i don't know are they supportive of what you are doing because it can be difficult in some families now you don't have to answer that if you don't want no no problem uh, my my uh, unfortunately most of my family uh, uh, was injected so uh, not my brother uh, uh, and my brother and my sister-in-law, but uh, most of them were. So it's it's it is for me. It's really sad that uh, that they were that they gave that they gave in um, and uh, and allowed that for different reasons. And it's but anyways, it's it's really sad. Yeah. And uh, but they are very supportive. They are very supportive. Sometimes they don't understand. I think they don't understand the full picture regarding the so-called pandemic. But uh, there is other other sides that they understand very well. For instance, it's very well known that that in Portugal we have a deeply, deeply corrupt government. The most dishonest people that you could find um, uh, anywhere. Gangsters. 
yeah, people that you will not sit at the table for a meal yeah. uh, with. So, so for that, they support me because they know with whom we are dealing, I am dealing with. And sometimes I ask them, look, you know, these, these guys are like this. Do you think they are concerned with public health? Or your health or my health? No, they are not. They, it's that's not the. They don't have that problem. That that worry. They are concerned with something else that is not the public health. That is not the health of the Portuguese, because they are deeply corrupt. They are deeply dishonest. They are they are the lowest liars that you can imagine. So how can people? And believe that they are worried with our health. That's impossible. That that that's it. That's a contradiction. Absolutely. That's, that's a contradiction. It, it's not. It's it's sometimes yes, but they support me. They support me, and uh, the, of course they 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 get worried uh, about me. But they they, 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 they worry they worry about what the government might try to do to you because. You know, your your profile has obviously grown substantially. That's a good thing. And you sound to me like a very reasonable, a very lucid, very thoughtful man. And, you know, the the, the, the media, governments, they, they don't like when, when people are thoughtful and ask questions, and, and you're doing that. Final question, um, Judge, today. Thanks for coming on. Is absolutely final question. Is there any hope for Portugal and for England and for Ireland and for the United States as the people? You and I were decent people. Is there any hope for us and for our people? Oh, look, we have the power. The, the real power power is with us. The power, the power that they have is just an illusion. If we want, this, is, this, stop, this stops immediately. If we want... Is immediately stops. Of course, they divided the populations. They divided the people, and that's the main and that's the main weapon that they have: the division of the people. But if we want, this is stopping immediately. So there is hope. There is hope. And uh, but uh, it it only depends on us right now. It only depends on us. I'm going to try a little bit of Portuguese there. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to say boa sorte. Is that right? Does that mean good luck? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Boa sorte. No, I do I do mean that. Good luck in your case against the government. And please consider yourself um welcome to come back anytime you'd like to have a chat on this program about these issues. Uh George, it was a real pleasure to meet you and I know your time is greatly in demand at the moment so um, thanks for spending some time with us today and uh, the best of luck going forward Thank you so much Richie and uh, to all your audience uh, keep keep strong and uh, fight back Thank you sir That was uh, Judge Dr Rui Castro and uh, he was speaking to us live from Lisbon just outside Lisbon in fact and he's taking on the Portuguese government. He really is um, over lockdown. 
mask mandating, vaccine mandating, social crediting. He's uh, doing his level best there. He spent some years as a lawyer. Then he um, took a position on the bench. He did that till 2011. He then took a leave of absence to go back to lawyering. I'm guessing, I might ask him in the future, it's probably for a few extra bob, probably. <laughs> no harm in that whatsoever. And um, then he came back into uh, the magistrate court earlier uh, this year and it was his um, it was uh, his decision to tell defendants and to tell witnesses that they didn't need to wear masks that first drew the ire of the authorities there and they went after him big time. Very interesting gentleman, Dr. Uh, Judge Dr. Rui Castro. Let me read a few comments before I run out of time. It is Tuesday's Richie Allen radio show, just adjust my chair there. Uh, live from BBG Towers, of course, here in the great, great city of Salford. Actually, I'll be back in 30 seconds. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, the yes! picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously, ensignfilms.co.uk. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution today. Yeah, it's coming up for 11 minutes to 7 o'clock. Interesting programme. If you missed any of it, Stephen, a registered nurse and clinical researcher of some success, of some note, it must be said, came on the programme to talk about how he's going to leave the profession, not of his own volition, of course, but because he doesn't want to have a COVID jab. And he spoke very eloquently about being part of a big team last year. That was central to our conversation. Part of a big team that was supplying clinical data from hospitals at the outset of this COVID thing. Data that told the government and the government scientists that COVID really wasn't that serious. And that it was only a problem really for very ill people, most of whom were were very senior. And of course I put it to Stephen in the conversation. You know, you're not saying that we just abandoned the elderly, are you? And he said, no, on the contrary. Uh, he was outstanding. And uh, you've missed uh, Judge Dr. Rui Castro, who's been on with us from uh, from Lisbon. Yeah, I said I'd read a few comments. Let me read a few, because lots came in, obviously. And uh, I didn't get much of a chance to read them out. Indeed. Hey, by the way, Catherine Horton, Dr. Catherine Horton, who was due on the programme yesterday, will be on with me tomorrow. Uh, fair play to Catherine. She got the time wrong. She recorded the time correctly. She's in the States now and uh, just made a bit of a cock up really and thought we were speaking a bit later. That happens, you know. No harm, no foul. So she will be with me tomorrow and that's going to be very interesting indeed. And I've got a really interesting gentleman coming on on Thursday. He's a musician, a very well-known musician called Blind Joe. Joe is blind, he's totally blind. But he's a very successful singer-songwriter and he's written a cracking anti-lockdown song. And he's a very interesting guy in his own right, besides writing lockdown songs. So Blind Joe will be on on Thursday. It's pretty busy. It's a busy week. That's okay. Tom says, no offence to the judge, 
but I would never trust a person of ritual authority and secret societies, which of whom judges, barristers and lawyers very often belong to. They have been corrupt for centuries, not for decades. No offence, I wouldn't trust the judge, says Tom. See, this sort of idiocy is why I'll eventually walk away from doing programmes like this. <laughs> right? This refusal to accept that we live in a world of shades of grey. That there are no absolutes. Tom is not prepared to leave any room for the idea that the judge has had a pretty sharp shock to his system last year and has woken up to, to use that terrible phrase, but has become aware of a nefarious agenda. No, no, no. He, he must be a shill, says people like Tom. I was only speaking about this today with uh, my pal Mark Boyersky. It's... Um, of course, I'm joking when I say I will eventually walk away because of people like that. But Christ, they drain you, you know. Don't they drain you, people like that? They're worse, those people, than the people who get all their news from the BBC. Crazy. They're the sorts of people, they'll see you shaking hands with somebody on a video. And they'll say, oh, look at that, he's using a secret society handshake. And you're like, yeah, because of course I'm in, I'm in a dozen secret societies here in Solford, you know. What kind of fuckery is this? Thanks, Tom. I've read your comment out anyway, and I have commented on it, as is my right. Hi to Jane Edmonds. Hi to Alan. Alan says this judge has walked a journey, especially if he's come to the conclusion that it is a depopulation exercise. He certainly has. Hi to Colin in Kerry. How you doing, Colin? Good to see someone like the judge stand up and speak out. Faisal says, once you see this, this reality, there is no turning back. Uh, they made a big mistake with the scamdemic, says Faisal. Now, a number of people known to me, they share Faisal's optimism. I don't know if I share it, but, but I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't be critical of it either. I'm going to say, I hope they're right. I hope Faisal is right. I hope that they've overplayed their hand, as my pal, Ms. Crowley, would say in Cleggan there. William says, Richie, Nicky Campbell started his career up here in Aberdeen talking drivel on a local radio station called Radio North Sound. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Hi to uh, Dougal as well. Stephen was a terrific guest, uh, Richie, says Dougal. A true inspiration for all who choose just to sit on the fence whilst doing nothing but talking. A true inspiration. The judge is the same illegal profession who should cause all in the profession in this country, for example, to be thoroughly ashamed of their inaction and their apparent preparedness to accept what is happening with little or no objection. Thank you. But again, Dougal, I would say, you know, Shades of grey. There will be many men and women in academia, in in the media, in policing, in other positions, and they will be very unsettled by what's been going on also. But they've got that millstone around their neck, which we have had. That is the mortgage or the exorbitant rent or the fact that they don't have more than a few weeks' wages in the bank as savings. Meaning that if the job is lost, 
they're on the street. That's the reality here in the UK. If you're renting in the private sector, which I did for years, and you fall into difficulty in terms of with your, with your employment situation, you lose your job. You've not got more than a few bob in the bank. What happens is your landlord gives you a couple of warnings about rent arrears. Then the landlord seeks permission to evict you from the property. He or she will be granted that permission. Now, in the meantime, you're on unemployment assistance or universal credit. That doesn't even cover one-sixth of your rent. You're out on the curb. Social housing? No, no, no. Maggie Thatcher... And by the way, for those who said last week, Richie, you did use the C word one time. I never did, ever, in my entire career. Two people did on the radio show and I should have admonished them more than I did for using it. I have never uttered that word on air. I've said it off air, but never on air. I'm not going to use it now, but think Maggie Thatcher. Thatcher enabled the privatisation of social housing, effectively, by granting social housing tenants the right to buy their own houses. She did this, that wanton bitch, because she knew that ultimately, by hook or by crook, those houses would then end up in the hands of her pals. Prospectors who would buy these houses off the former social tenants who took out mortgages to buy the houses from the local authorities. What has that resulted in? Well, it's resulted in the fact that trying to get social housing, trying to get a house to rent from your local authority, is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Or in a thousand haystacks. It ain't happening. So I've gone a long way around telling you, this is, the why, this is why so many people who want to say something, don't. Because... They fear ending up by the side of the road. Because if you've only got a few hundred quid in your savings account and you're renting a house or an apartment for £900 a month or more in London and you lose your job, let me tell you, dear listener, homelessness is inevitable. It's a guarantee. So shades of grey, let's not demonise and castigate all of them. They're in there, struggling with their conscience, wondering, how do I do what Stephen did. How do I say what I need to say? Give them time. Maybe all is not lost. Maybe Faisal is right and others. Maybe they've overplayed their hand. Massive thanks to Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. And to Dr. Judge Rui Castro for coming on the programme tonight. Catherine Horton tomorrow. I've been the BBG. It's bye for me. You enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thank you for listening as always. (laughs) 